It's Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John the Baptist, permitted Jesus. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Do you feel like this week that you shined in your life? Do you feel like when people were around you that you added value and joy into their lives? When you were all alone this week? Were your thoughts and desires influenced by the love and the grace that God has for you? Consider this. Were you full to overflowing with the secure and powerful love of God? Whether you're with others or whether you were alone, did you have this deep sense of this overwhelming, powerful presence of God this past week? If you did, praise the Lord. Please see me after service and let me know how you did it. You did it because you're walking closely with the Lord. But if you didn't feel that way this week, I want you to be encouraged that you're not alone. You know, life is, is filled with ups and downs. We go through peaks and valleys, and sometimes we go through seasons of life where it seems like it's always down. And Christmas can bring that out in our lives as well as there are lots of families and friends and maybe we feel alone during this time of year. We may say, you know, we believe in the Lord, but what do we do when we're lacking power from Him? We may say that we believe that God loves us, but we may still live in depression and doubt. We may say, I believe that Jesus is truth, but I am so confused about everything in my life. So instead of shining, what we do is end up feeling like instead of bringing joy to the lives of others, we can feel like we're draining joy and brightness from their life. So how can we shine? How can we live in a state of life above despair? How can we be above that threshold? The key for us to live in that area is to rest and to remain in the glory of God. A lot of the problems that we have in our lives are a result of resting in the glory of self. What we do is we create stress and problems for our lives because we are the center of our lives. We find ourselves jealous of others because there's something they have that we we really want. We find ourselves angry all the time because people are 
taking our joy from us, or we say they are, because they're the ones keeping us from being happy and content. They keep us from what we want. We find ourselves worried about what others think because we want their approval. We want their affirmation. So we're anxious all the time. Or we can find ourselves depressed and doubting because we don't think we're good enough. I'm not good enough to do what God wants me to do. So it's easy to become very consumed with me, myself. It can lead to big problems. But we may even start to feel better about ourselves for the same reason, the same selfish reasons. So, for example, if we say do good things for others, because when you do, you'll feel better about yourself and pick yourself up by doing good things for others. We may say, you know, if you exercise more, you eat healthier, if you smile more, you'll be happier, and others will notice you and give you that affirmation you need, and you'll feel better about yourself. Some of us love being complimented on our new hairstyles, or we love to hear the words, have you lost weight recently, or you look fantastic, or Daniel, you're so strong and smart, you're my hero. We love to hear that. So we can find ourselves in the same or polar opposites, depressed and doubting, or we can be secure in ourself for the same selfish reasons, the glory of self. So how do we rest and remain in the glory of God? From this text and some others, we're going to see two reasons that we can do that and how Jesus is the king of glory. The first one is this. Jesus has the greatest privilege. If you're taking notes, that'll be number one. Jesus has greatest privilege. Among all people that have been born, Jesus is the one who is the most privileged. And this is going to mean something more as we continue to look. Going back to the text I read earlier in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus, who was born on Christmas, what we celebrate as Christmas, grew up, and his first order of ministry was to be baptized in order to fulfill righteousness. It was needed for him to take that first step in being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Immediately after his baptism, the heavens open up, and God the Father pours out the Spirit of God into, onto Christ, and then the words are heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So this is more than just sweet words from a loving father. When a child hears these words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, assuming it's a good father, it it brings security and love and value to the heart of the child. They feel and understand that they are valued by their father. But when Jesus hears this from God the Father, it's a great statement of his divine nature, his privilege as the only begotten son of God. The father looked at the son and he found pleasure in him. Jesus brought joy to his heart. 
Like a mom seeing her child for the first time and not knowing how to express the emotion that she feels finally seeing this child. Jesus preferred Jesus. This is what it means that he was well pleased. He preferred him. He approved him. He accepted him as his own. It's a statement of the glory of Jesus and the privilege he carried as being the only Son of God. But his baptism is not the only place where we see this phrase in the Bible. It's not the only place where we see the Father say these words to the Son. Later in the same book, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain. Six days prior to taking them up there, he had spoken and taught heavy words to them as to the the high cost of being a disciple of Christ. He said things like, you know, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow after me. You're going to have to deny yourself and follow me. Heavy words from him. And he also told him that one day, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, he said the Son of Man is going to return with the glory of his Father and his angels, and he's going to repay every man according to his deeds. It's a very powerful and very bold statement. He's saying he's going to return again in all of his glory, and he's going to make the world right. The events of our day make me yearn for that to happen quickly. There's so much heartache and pain and misery in our world today. But who is Jesus to say that? He's the privileged one. Jesus is the one who has the greatest privilege of anyone else. And that leads us to the second point. Jesus has the greatest power. Not only is he the greatest privilege, but he has the greatest power. I want us to look uh, later on in the same gospel of Matthew in chapter 17. And we're going to look at the second time where we hear these words, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments, his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground and were terrified. So Jesus, after making these bold statements of returning with the glory of the Father, takes his three closest disciples up on a mountain. They see him in all of his glory. He's shining brightly. They heard the Father vindicate or endorse this Jesus as the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, as the Son of God. Then they had the only rational 
reaction to being in the presence of the holy, all-powerful God. They fell down on their faces, and they were terrified. The word terrified here is the Greek word phobio, and we get the word phobia from it, which is fear. So the, the man whom they had been walking around with for so many months and years at this point, they'd been learning from him. They had conversations, too many conversations with him to count. They traveled many miles. This same person they saw in all of his glory and they became terrified of him. You know, fear is a very powerful emotion. It moves people to action. It motivates people. But fear can also manipulate people. There are many people in our nation and throughout the world who are moved to action and motivated to act like never before because they have fear in their hearts. There are thousands and millions of people who are fleeing their countries because they are fearful of losing their lives. There are thousands and millions of people who are trying to keep those people out of their country because they are fearful of their lives. There are also many people who are using fear to manipulate others to do work for them. We have oppressive governments who put these restrictions on people and motivate them with fear, and they say, if you break the law, we will kill you. And there are oppressive terrorists who use fear to motivate people with the threat of death. There are bosses who fear through who use fear of being fired to get employees to do it, the job they're supposed to do no matter what they have to do to get that job done. Fear is a real emotion in our lives. These men had an even greater fear of Jesus than what we experience on earth. They were terrified of him when they saw him in his glory. The greatest power Jesus has. So how does Jesus respond to this great fear that they have for him? Look in the next verse of chapter 17, verse 7. And Jesus came to them as they're kneeling down on their face, they're falling down on their face in terror, and he comes to them and he touches them, and he says, get up, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Instead of taking advantage of their fear and and using that fear to boost his own ego, like so many people do, he goes to them and he gently kneels down and he tells them to get up, come up here with me, it's okay, don't be afraid. In essence, he's saying, yes, yes, I am worthy of being feared. I realize my secret's out. I am who I am. And for Jesus saying, I am, it's a a reverence to him being God as well. He has the power of God. He is the Son of God. But his power will be used in loving and selfless ways. And it's greater than any powers of the world. And it will be used differently than any worldly power ever known. He has the greatest power ever known in this world. He doesn't wield his power and, pardon the pun, lord it over them and make them do things for him, but he uses this power and all of his glory 
And he eventually lays down his life and rescues his people from sin and death. He uses his privilege and his power for someone else. Not to elevate himself, but to elevate his beloved children. The transfiguration, which is where Jesus shone brightly with the power of God, and the crucifixion reveal the heart of God to us. And they help us understand the other. You understand the crucifixion more when you understand the transfiguration, which is kind of hard to say. And you understand the transfiguration more when you understand the crucifixion. The all-powerful one worthy of our fear and worship is Jesus, but he is also the one who loves us with the type of love that he's willing to lay all of that down for you and me. In the transfiguration, we're on a a mountaintop. The crucifixion was on a, a hilltop called Calvary. The transfiguration, we see Jesus and he's revealed in all of his glory and splendor. And the crucifixion, we see him revealed in shame and humiliation. In the transfiguration, his robe, his garments, his clothes were shining brightly. In the crucifixion, his clothes were stripped off of him, and he was beaten. In the transfiguration, we see Jesus with two people on either side of him. Moses and Elijah, in all their glory and splendor of God as well. The crucifixion, we see Jesus with two people on either side of him. Also shameful, convicted criminals. The transformation, there's these bright clouds that are overshadowing them and and shining so brightly. At the crucifixion, There were these dark clouds that came over the land. At the transfiguration, remember Peter is there and he sees Jesus and he says, it's good to be here. And he says, this is wonderful. I want to build a a temple. I want to build stuff for you. This is fantastic. It is so good for me to be here. And he's one who is so close to Jesus. But at the crucifixion, Only a pagan soldier surprisingly says, surely this was the Son of God. At the transfiguration, God says, this is my Son. At the crucifixion, Jesus cries out, my God, My God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus took his privilege and his power, and he became abandoned and powerless to the point of death so that we could become privileged and powerful children of God. Like Peter and James and John on the mountain of transfiguration, When we fall down on our faces before a holy God in repentance and we cry out to him for mercy, Jesus looks at us and he touches us and he says, 
Get up and don't be afraid anymore. Christianity is not a religion that says do good things so you'll feel better about yourself. It doesn't even say do good things so that you can please God. Christianity realizes that there is nothing you can do to meet God's standard. There's nothing you can do to be perfect. There's nothing you can do on your own to be holy before God. The only hope we have is the grace of God through faith in His perfect one, His Son, His beloved, Jesus. Then and only then can we be good. But let's not stop at good. It gets better than good. Jesus quotes earlier in Matthew, he quotes Daniel chapter 12, that all God's people would shine like stars in the, God, in the, in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43 is where he quotes this. He says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So when we are made righteous through faith in Jesus, we start to shine like the sun as members of his kingdom. We will shine because we're reflecting the glory of God now no longer reflecting the glory of selves. But here's why we often don't shine. This is why I didn't shine very much this week. It was just my forehead shining. That's it. It's okay to laugh. I I realize it's shiny. We often don't shine because we forget God. We just finished a sermon series before Advent entitled Forgetting God, and many times there is still a disconnect between what we know and what we believe what we center our life on. So we don't allow our heart, our desires to be affected by the knowledge that we have. We don't spend time in prayer connecting with God and being in the midst of His glory. We don't spend time praising Him. Maybe our only time in prayer is asking Him for more things. We don't spend time worshiping Him. We don't submit our hearts to Him, but instead we demand others to submit to us. The reason we're able to shine is the glory of God. We become privileged and powerful children through faith in Christ. When we have faith in Christ, a few things happen. Instead of God looking upon us in our darkened state of sin, when we're in Christ, it's like His baptism where the father looked on his son, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. When we are baptized in Christ, God the Father, the Creator, looks at us and he says those very same words to us. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. We don't have to be afraid of Almighty God as a threat to us anymore, but we still fall down before him on our faces, and we worship Him as our powerful, gracious, and merciful Father. And when we do that, when we remain in that, we're resting in the work Christ has done, and we remain in that through repentance and faith, we can live every day with the bright glory of God, and we can be game changers here on earth to where we can 
reflect the glory of God in such a way that people would see our lives and we would shine in our work, in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our uh, relationships with friends and children. We would shine in such a way that people would see us and praise God. Something is different. You and I don't have to live lives in angry uh, states or anxiety or jealousy or defeatedness or, or worried Ness, I said ness too many times, but you know what I'm trying to get at. A lot of nessing going on. We don't have to be that way. And I, I get frustrated many times because uh, I get frustrated. Does that make sense? You live in a state of frustration because you're frustrated? So it's this, it's this cycle of, of living. And, and the only way that cycle can be broken is through stopping and realizing that I need Jesus to break into my heart and transform it. Otherwise, I'm going to be no different. But when Jesus does break into my heart, I don't think about me that much. I'm praising him, and I'm looking to others as people to serve instead of looking to others as to what can I get from them? How can I get them to help me feel better about me? So the question that we have is this. Are we going to allow the Lord to change us? Are we going to give him the rights and demands of our hearts and trust him in everything? Are we going to tell him that you are the king of glory and we want you as our king to shine through us, to make us bright so that people would see us and praise you? I hope and I pray that that is our prayer. Jesus is the King of glory, and I pray that this Christmas will be a time for you to realize how bright God wants to shine in and through your lives. Let me close this with a word of prayer. Lord, your brightness is is too bright for us to look upon. Your glory shines. It shined on Jesus and showed us how powerful you are. And your glory shines the brightest at the resurrection as we see you conquer our enemy of sin and death. I pray you would cause our hearts to be transformed by your redeeming love, that you would pull us out of the darkness and into the light, that we would shine like the sun in your kingdom so people all over the world would see us and our love for one another, and they would glorify and praise you. Thank you, God, for being the King of glory. We praise you and we pray this because we have been given the privilege of prayer through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus. It's for his glory we say and pray these things. Amen.